Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. In this episode, we're discussing SST 179, the HR It's About Love EP. We've had a ton of HR lately, which we love. We've been through these tracks before, but this is the last HR release for almost a year, I think, until we get to the next one. And to help us out with a bit more info about this era of HR before we leave it for a while, we've got a special guest. Yeah, we've got Stephen Hanner on the show. Very cool to have Stephen on. Another piece of the Olive Tree record scene puzzle. Stephen took some of the most iconic HR photos and uh, really fortunate to have him on the show here. And as I said, you know, add a bit more to the story before we put HR on hold for like almost a year, man. I feel like that's going to be a long time. But hey, there's going to be lots of cool stuff in the meantime. While we've certainly had our HR fixed to tide us over until then. <laughs> Very true. Very true. And there's a, there's a new record coming out too. So Yes. Yeah. So we'll have to check that out in the meantime and yeah. provide a full HR update in about a year's time here. Um, let me hit you with a couple of spiels, Brant. Go. So the first thing I want to mention is in a particular zone that we always like to visit. Would that be the comp zone oh nice you got some melody with the zone there this time love that uh this is something that folks probably saw posted but there is this new comp coming out called loteria or loteria i'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it it looks to be 55 musicians composers and producers recording original music for 2021 from home studios during lockdown there is a live premiere on June the 19th, and I found the best info from a post by Bob Lee, who's also uh, part of the group of musicians, composers and producers here, and I'll, I'll rattle off a few of them because it's all over the SS tree. Bob Lee said, this is a unique compilation featuring 55 musicians who allowed themselves to be placed at random into 14 brand new bands given the task to create original music. These recordings and music videos were produced in early 2021, largely during lockdown by people with home studios collaborating by any means available. So there are 55 people on this comp and I'll just list a few that caught my eye that are on the SS tree. There's Joe Biza, Joe Berardi from the Fibonacci's, Greg Cameron, Joe Dean from the Jack Brewer band, uh, Michael Glass from Sin 34, White Flag, David O. Jones, Crane from Tragic Comedy is on this thing, Mario Lolly, Mark Mylar, Paul Rossler, Mike Watt, Giza X, the list goes on and on. Gotta check this out on June the 19th. Yeah, I saw that. It looks super interesting. I have no idea what it will sound like, but I'm sure it's it's definitely worth checking out with that pedigree, and mm -hmm. there's just so much SST goodness there. Yeah, man. All right, my next spiel, Brandt, has been bugging me for a few weeks here, and it's about Ska. Okay? <laughs> yeah. So a few episodes ago, you mentioned that you hate Ska, and I quickly said, yep. And it was in the context of the BYO band Scram, which you were mentioning as part of a comp zone spiel. 
it was described as ska or the band was described as ska but it's not it's actually like a cool roots reggae-esque type of band and they are cool i've checked them out since that's a good recommend Mm -hmm. but again we we very quickly sidelined ska in that conversation so here's my question do we really hate ska because i don't think so and i want to test that okay well i do uh but i'm when i think of ska i don't necessarily think of the original two-tone bands I maybe think too much of that early to mid '90s ska revival that was just totally obnoxious to me. Bingo. So here, here's where I'm going with this. When we say we don't like ska, I don't think we're talking about ska that started in Jamaica as a precursor to rock steady and reggae, like Desmond you know, Decker and stuff like that. That stuff's yeah, like, good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Jamaican ska, early Whalers. Cox and Dodd singles, you know, the Scottalites, Tommy McCook, Jackie Mattu, all those great comps on soul jazz records. That's not what we're talking about. That stuff's good. Yeah, no, that's good. I'll okay. even, maybe even the specials would be okay. Well, here we go. I I like two-tone as well, like that late 70s UK movement um, and musical soundtrack to that movement as well. Like the beat, the specials, Madness, Selector. Yep. I'm I'm down with that. Yeah, I've got some of those records. Okay. And and that awesome comp, the dance craze comp, right? Yeah, I don't know that, but I don't what? go I don't go that deep, man. Oh, you gotta go deeper into two tone. Okay, so what about Operation Ivy or Fishbone? Uh yeah. Not a huge fan of either band, but I own it own some stuff and enjoy it from time to time. Yeah, because that's, that's kind of my cutoff right there. And what, what I think the stuff that you don't like is the same stuff that I don't like, which I think is referred to as third wave ska. That's the 90s ska punk, like less than Jake, voodoo glow skulls. That's not really the stuff that I like, you know? Yeah. And now part of the reason, like this was bugging me, but I also came across a book called In Defense of Ska that is either out or coming out soon. It looks like it probably glosses over the stuff that we like more so and gets really into the the third wave stuff, like, you know, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and blah, blah, blah. But it got me thinking that I really know a lot more about reggae than I do about ska. Like, I know about the ska that I like in two-tone. I know about two-tone, like, because of the UK punk scene, like through that avenue, right? Mm-hmm. I don't really know it specifically or deeply. I also don't really know the uh, the Jamaican ska stuff. I know that kind of via reggae and, and some, you know, liner notes and compilations and stuff. So it did get me thinking, I don't think I hate ska. I, de- I just hate a type of ska and I want to know more about it. And I also want to know more about two-tone and when I uh, came across this book, In Defense of Scott, which I don't, I mean, I haven't read it, but it doesn't, re- it looks like it kind of glosses over this stuff. But I came upon a ton of other books that are focused on the era of ska and the type of ska that I like. So uh, I'm going to go into it because I think we kind of very quickly dismissed it the other day. And there's some ska I like. Okay. That's it, man. I had to do that spiel in partial defense of ska. All right, fair enough. Okay, why don't you hit me with your spiels? Okay, I have a lot of spiels this week, Ryan. Just a Uh heads up to the listeners. I kind of thought, you know, we've been through this record already. 
more or less. It's about love, so I thought we'd front load the pod with spiels. Okay. It's okay. a it's a spiel load. Yeah. Spiel gusher. Yep. Do it. Okay. Real quick here though, uh, Elliot Sharp live streamed a performance by the Bootstrappers the other day for free. What? Yeah, and it's now up on YouTube. They played for over an hour. Uh, you can find it on the YouTube channel for the New Colossus Festival. It's Don McKenzie on drums, E Sharp on guitar, and who's on bass? Ryan. What? Wrong. Melvin Gibbs. <laughs> But the whole band is going for it and just, you know, like their lives depend on it. It's it's worth worth watching, for sure. Wow, that is shocking. I, I didn't see that. And what a weird combo to bring back from the dead. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Okay, back into the comp zone here, Ryan. Live at the Knitting Factory, Volume 4 from 1990. And I'll just apologize in advance if people are getting sick of these... <laughs> Live at I'm the not. Knitter, Knitting Factory spiels. I'm not. There's one more to go. So only... that's fine. That's fine. Keep them coming. Okay. Like I said, I would. I'd be doing these spiels and and the show even if we had no listeners. But we do appreciate the listeners. Yes. Okay. Volume four from 1990 starts with the Ned Rothenberg double band. Uh, so it's been on my to do list to check out more of this group ever since we had Ned on for our semantics episode, and. I don't really know if this is the concept but of the band, but I suspect it, it was or is. Everything is doubled. Like there's two alto saxes, Ned and Thomas Chapin, two bassists, mm. two bassists, two drummers, one of whom is Sam Bennett, also of Semantics. Really cool concept, great jazz tune composed by Ned. I wonder if that is a reference to Ornette Coleman and the double quartet. Maybe. I wonder, wonder. Uh, a little preview of next week's episode, Ryan. It's Universal Congress of with the song oh, Freight yeah. Train. Yes. This is the post-SST lineup of Biaza, Steve Moss, Bob Fitzer, and Paul Lines. Great track off their 1990 album, The Sad and Tragic Demise of Big, Fine, Hot, Salty, Black Wind. Uh, next up, Ryan, is Last Exit, the free jazz supergroup of Bill Laswell on bass, Ronald Shannon Jackson on drums, Sonny Chirac on guitar, and the great Peter Brotsman on sax. This track is fairly res restrained by their standards, but it's still great. Uh, Iva Betova and Pavel Fiat, some uh, Czechoslovakian violin and drum avant-garde duo. Uh, a track by a group calling themselves Framework a group led by violinist Laura Seaton. She's played with everyone from Zorn to Sinead O'Connor, and she was in the Soldier String Quartet. Hmm. So this is, I guess, on the tree, because we saw the Soldier String Quartet on episode 129 for E-Sharp's Tessellation Row. Spanish Fly, a jazz rock trio, pretty cool. A group called Miniature, some more sax-driven avant-garde jazz with some cool ambient electronics done by Joey Barron of Naked City. X-Legged Sally. This is killer. Belgian avant-garde jazz rock. Super scronk and good. They have a number of records, so they're on the list. X-Legged Sally. Gotta check them out. Bob Holman with a track called 1990. Bob is a poet, kind of like a slam poet. Really famous in poetry circles, and this is great. It's almost 10 minutes long and a nice throwback to the year 1990. And then we end the comp off with New and Used, another jazz band with 
a bunch of players from that uh, New York scene. Nice, mellow way to end the comp. Like I said, I hope the listeners aren't getting tired of these Live at the Knitting Factory spiels. There's one more to go. Uh, but if you are looking to expand your musical horizons and you're into some of the more adventurous stuff on SST, uh, these are great, great comps mm-hmm. for uh, you know, a nice primer. Okay, Ryan, remember a month ago when I was in my Dr. Dream phase, obsession? Yes. Are you still in it? I'm still in it. Okay. So uh, my my number one obsession on Dr. Dream is this band, El Grupo Sexo. No way. Yeah. Do you know them? Yeah, I've got two of their LPs. Okay, well, there is only two. So okay. I, I just love this band. Totally could have been on SST, and many of the members of the band ended up on SST later on. So the, the reason I didn't spiel about this sooner is I was trying to figure out how to do this. So I ended up hooking up with Jason Mann, kind of the singer-guitarist, and over email, and while I was asking him questions, members of the band kept getting added on to the email thread, and it turned into this kind <laughs> cool. of mini band reunion with me just watching all these emails roll in. No way. Yeah. So. That's cool. I ended up with quite a bit of El Grupo Sexo material. So. As I mentioned, they uh, were an outstanding funky rock kind of band. Two albums on Dr. Dream, Mom's Home, 1986, and Up Periscope, 1988. Jason Pito Mann on guitar and vocals. Jason has a group with Paul Rossler called Los Fubars. There's a band camp for that. And Paul and Jason co-produced the record. Jason plays guitar and sing. Paul plays keys and vocals. Kira plays bass on that release. Petra Hayden is on it. Richard Dugway of Personality Crisis is, is on it. Bill Barrett of Brother Weasel is on it. Tony Atherton's on it, who we'll hear about in a minute. Uh, and Jason also has a band called Pendecos of Doom, who are up on a Bandcamp page in Spotify. Many of those same people, again, produced by Jason and Paul Rossler. Uh, also in El Grupo Sexo, Dave Pretty Boy Otto on trumpet. John Karasawa on bass and guitar. Miles Brad Hellish Gillette, or Gillette on drums. He went on to be the drummer for the band Fluff, Ryan. Oh, cool. Tony DePope Atherton, alto and tenor sax, bass clarinet. Tony played later in Bazooka, who have several records on SST. Yes. He also played on that Perfect Rat record. He was uh, in a bunch of bands. Don Donnie Carroll is on guitar in El Grupo, also of Bazooka. Vince the Falcon Magruni, tenor sax, flutes. He's the drummer and the founder of Bazooka. Uh, he played in Brother Weasel, Fatso Jetson. He played with Watt. Uh, he's, like I said, the sax player and flute player in El Grupo. They were kind of known for their wild stage shows, often at Safari Sam's. I found a show review from the LA Times dating back to 85, where it says the group played a song called Cranberry Castaways, for which each bamber portrayed a Gilligan's Island character <laughs> while singing the show's theme song to the tune of Prince's Raspberry Beret. <laughs> Another musical marriage that is part of the group's act is Like a War Pig, which merges Madonna's Like a Virgin with Black Sabbath's War Pig. So... You can find a bunch of this stuff up on YouTube. <laughs> like their stage show, they always had themes and stuff for their shows. Pretty funny, pretty wild show. 
Uh, also, their original drummer, Dan Pinkboy Rinaldi, uh, who was in the band to start with, he, uh, he was in on this email thread. So, Ryan, Dan actually sent a, a little spiel about his time in El Grupo. Yeah. Like, he's not on either of the records. He left the band before they recorded. But I thought it would be cool to, to play that on the show. Like a recording? Yeah. Oh. He didn't is that send... Like an, he, is, that a, is that a new segment? Yeah, it's a new segment for the Comp Zone. Okay. Send in, send in your recording segment. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So we have another surprise guest on the show. Yeah, I guess we do. just heard was the uh, first recording of 
uh, El Grupo Sexo done in a, an actual studio, 1982, Chateau East. I don't remember exactly when, but probably early, early 82. This is my reminiscence of being in El Grupo Sexo. Uh, Pink Boy, also known as Dan Rinelli, recording this on uh, March 21st, 2021. So, uh, you know, it's 40 years ago, reminiscing. Holy cow. Time flies when you're having a blast, particularly the last year. I'll just start at the start. Jason and I met, it was either late 1970 or early 79. Bass player from the very first band I was in in 1977 called Crave in Orange County. Uh, Randy Buckles was the bass player. He called me and asked if I wanted to play with uh, these guys. And it was uh, Jason Mann and Bob Barlow. I think it was in Bob's parents' garage in Fullerton. Randy didn't hang. We got another bass player, and we ended up playing through, I want to say, 1980, so a year and a half or so, uh, with a couple of different bass players. But during that time, Jason and I uh, became friends, and we went to a ton of shows, you know, all over the place. Uh, some of the ones I really remember as far as being influential uh, and us getting uh, creative were uh, Fear and the Minutemen at the Whiskey, uh, the Plugs, or Los Plugs, and the Plimsolls at the Starwood, uh, Fibonacci's, and I think the Rubber City Rebels at Long Beach State. We saw Oingo Boingo a bunch of times. As far as uh, being influential uh, for showy <laughs> showmanship, Plasmatics and the Alley Cats at the Whiskey, uh, I could never figure out how the LA Cats got the gig, but then I found out later that Randy, the guitar player, was the booker at the Whiskey. And the Plasmatics, you know, were sold out. It was their first West Coast tour. And so I took some of my uh, later uh, clothing ideas, or costume ideas, from Wendy O. Williams. Anyway, that was great. We were basically playing uh, Queen and Led Zeppelin covers and... I think a few originals, but probably ended up sounding like that. Bob Barlow was a, a, a Jimmy Page and Brian May a fetishist, I'll say. Anyway, he ended up going to England, I think, for like three months, and uh, Jason and I basically used the rehearsal space to come up with stuff. And uh, so Bob came back, and that band was over with. And Jason and I were uh, still hanging out, and we'd... Uh, come up with stuff at uh, my work, the warehouse in the back, which is this big old 60 by 120 metal shed, and uh, just make stuff up there. Uh, we hooked up with a guy named Mike from Whittier, I think. I don't know the actual connection. I think Jason was the connection. And he played with us for a couple of months. And we called ourselves the Boils. And we recorded a uh, six-song demo at Chateau East in Anaheim in, eight, in one day. Uh, recorded, overdubbed, and mixed. And the, uh, the premise was that the boils were going to explode onto the music scene. And that was the time, you know, uh, when the L.A. underground scene was just huge. There were clubs everywhere, bands all over the place, and, and the bands were, like, not necessarily punk. It was not 
It wasn't commodified or, uh, you know what I mean. We met Tony Palumbo and Mooch Palumbo sometime in 81. And I don't remember the circumstances of how we hooked up with them. It might have been through a friend of a friend's girlfriend knew them and knew us and something like that. We became the front, two guitars, bass and drums. And we had a gig at Radio City, Jerry Roach's club, who also owned the infamous Cuckoo's Nest in Costa Mesa. We were playing with the firemen, and it was uh, after the Dodgers had won the World Series. We were like in awe of the firemen because they had airplay on uh, Caro Q pretty constantly with their uh, cover of Devo's Are We Not Men, We Are Devo, with their, their take on it with the uh, Green Acres theme in the middle of it was just... Well, we just thought it was great. We were like, wow, I can't believe we have this gig. It's so great. So we met them, and it turned out that they weren't from Bakersfield or Central California like we had thought for some reason. And Vince was wearing a Dodger jacket, so I, I knew I had to talk to him. We uh, struck up conversation and told those guys how much we loved them and blah, blah, blah. So we ended up becoming friends just like right out of the chute. We had two gigs at the Tudo Lounge in November and December. And I remember the dates because the first one was my birthday. The second one was my cousin's birthday. Tudo Lounge was a Vietnamese bar on uh, Beach Boulevard. And that's when the uh, theme of each show started. I think I made a flyer, someone did, said, you know, the, the firemen and with the front or something or the front with the fire i don't remember which order but it was orange county's loudest bands even though we probably weren't but anyway you get the idea so after that i know i told vince and spoke with him at the very first time we met that uh, we wanted to add horns and you know do all sorts of wacky stuff so he was game for that him and don uh, carroll lived in uh, the kennel in midway city and I thought it was pretty cool that they had their own butler, Jeeves, who was a couch surfer. We, we basically just became friends and uh, h hanging out together. And Vince turned me on to uh, jazz quite a bit. Jason and I, of course, had been influenced by everything that was going on, really. And a lot of the, the English underground stuff, too. So Vince brought in Tony Atherton. We got a hold of a bass player... I think his name was Jeff, probably through Music, music Connection, that uh, was, I, I, I guess the word prissy comes to mind. He didn't work out. It, just not the same mindset as us, you know. Jason and Vincent, I remember uh, we'd go to Old World in Huntington Beach, the Rathskeller, and Lukey, the owner there, he was a sax player, so course he loved us when we told him we were in a band uh, I, I just remember the uh, Underberg Vavoom afterwards that's always funny to me Vavoom uh, Tony Atherton was brought in by Vince Don had bought himself an accordion and taught himself how to play it because he was a super whiz keyboard player to begin with so we just started playing Tony Plumbo on bass Jason and me on drums Vince on sax, Tony Atherton on sax, Don on accordion and what else, you know, whatever. And uh, eventually we started getting gigs and uh, Jason's brother, Christian, became our manager 
and started getting us gigs. Uh, one place in particular, HJ's in North Hollywood at the corner of Lancashire and Victory. We became regulars there. I think we were paid by how much we could drink, something like that. <laughs> I don't know if we ever got any money or even asked for any. But we were a big hit there. We did a ton of gigs there. I know New Year's Eve in 1982. Actually, I knew that we were had something going about, I want to say, fall of 82. I think there was a house party at Tony Atherton's parents' house in uh, uh, Huntington Beach. And I just, I could tell by the way the audience responded to our shenanigans and, you know, it just seemed like we had something. And uh, so, you know, it's one of those things where we're just all throwing our ideas into a pot, stirring it up and see what comes out. So we did a ton of gigs. Well, not a ton, a, a lot. A couple of them wildly inappropriate. I think Christian booked both of them. One was at the Len Jacoby of Jacoby and Myers Law Firm's either son or daughter's 16th or 18th birthday party. I don't remember if it was in Venice, uh, Pacific Palisades, maybe even Manhattan Beach, I'm not sure, but I know it was on the beach. We fancied up a stage on the sand facing the house between the, the uh, tide. <laughs> Pretty bizarre, uh, considering the stuff we played. And then another gig we got was at a private, I'll call it arts high school, and it was all girls in Idlewild in the San Jacinto Mountains. And uh, that was memorable because also wildly inappropriate, you know, high school girls, and there's all Grupo Sexo, a bunch of weirdos. And we were kind of, I think, considered a ska band at that time because that was really raging in Orange County. And uh, I know we did a few gigs, uh, probably one at the Cuckoo's Nest that was like some festival thing that got recorded. I never did hear a tape of that. But anyway, I think we played four songs or something. But the gigs at, uh, at HJ's, though, they were, they were always uh, memorable. About, I want to say June, July of 83... I took a hiatus, and uh, but still we're you know hung out and went to all the shows, and but also hung out at the kennel and whatnot. Uh, sat in a couple times, and then uh, Tony Atherton left I think around that time, and uh, Palumbo, I'm not really sure when, but I know uh, I early '84 I basically recommitted to being in the band again. And that's when uh, John Carasawa took over on bass. And Dave Otto joined in that time frame. So gradually over time, I noticed we started drawing more people to shows. We'd have themes. They're pretty hilarious sometimes. Uh, uh, got some good gigs. I think we played a club lingerie with Blood on the Saddle. And I, I don't remember who the headliner was or maybe they were the openers and we were the middle band. I don't remember, but that was like September of 84, I think. And then we had uh, the audience hostility night. I think that was the Thanksgiving weekend Saturday that we played that. That was at the Central. Captured that on tape. That was hilarious. And uh, John Karasawa turned that into a uh, <laughs> pretty epic uh, underground tape. 
once we started drawing a lot of people to the shows, I realized that uh, pretty soon we're going to get signed, most likely. The one thing that I always, I, I didn't really realize it at the time, but I realized in hindsight, is that uh, everyone, whether or not our musician skills were that great, we all just contributed, had ideas, whoever thought of something, it, wasn't, it was like, uh, well, let's try it out. If it works, it works. It doesn't, it doesn't. And we just were fast, uh, which kind of cracks me up because really, you know, I, I'm not, I can't read music. Uh, I don't know if anyone's really a sight reader or was then. Maybe Don, maybe John. But uh, it was, uh, you know, just really, uh, I don't know how to put it. I guess magic or lightning in a bottle. I think someone mentioned that in the written stuff. My last gig was going to be at Safari Sam's in Huntington in, in late March of 85. I think those guys had already started looking for a drummer, and I think I saw Miles play somewhere, or maybe he played at a rehearsal place with, with uh, everyone else in sex. So I don't remember, but for some reason I already knew that he was a good drummer. And I knew that me leaving would not be an impediment to their continued success and growth. Uh, it wasn't, you know, it was actually, now they had a good drummer. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, there was really nothing holding them back at that point. And I know Tony Atherton rejoined after I left. I don't know when exactly. But I do recall uh, they started booking shows up in uh, Northern California, and where I still am. And it was great to always go to see those. A few times went down to LA and saw a couple down there. It was really funny. I think it was Berkeley Square in Berkeley, oddly enough. I think they played with Schooly D. And I took a couple people from my work that were music buffs, but they pretty much hated the bands I'd been in up here. <laughs> we were walking out, one of my guys said, I can't believe you were ever in that band, they're good. <laughs> so anyway, uh, perfect uh, ending for that. Uh, the last thing is that my last gig at Safari Sam's, it was really fun. It was a great send-off. thing that was most memorable was when Sam... Lanny got up on stage after we were done and said, you know, now he knew why he opened the club and that was just to have us play there. I was really, really lucky. You know, looking back on it, uh, the coincidence of your very first bass player is in a band with Randy calling me up and saying, let's go, and then Jason and I being open to expanding, if you will, musically. It was... Uh, a great experience. Looking back on it 40 years after, uh, not duplicatable uh, in these, these times, it's pretty amazing. I'll uh, send this off with the first song at my last gig. All right? So, uh, guys, Vince, Jason, Tony, Dave, Don, John, Miles, hope everyone's uh, healthy. Cheers.
guess what? <laughs> I forgot to tell you we were coming on. <laughs> In the excitement. And now, ladies and gentlemen, this is Sam speaking. El Grupo Sexo. And we come walking out and everybody goes, Hey, anybody gonna lie? Thanks, dude. Don't catch my hair on fire. Check, check. One time.
So there you go, Ryan. Dan Rinaldi. I think that's the first time we've had a interview for the Spiel segment, and I think it's also the first time we've had actual music on our podcast. Except for the intro tune. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's probably it. We're too afraid of getting sued. Yeah. So Dan, like, didn't send that in for our show or anything. That was just, you know, these guys going off on the email thread. Wow. That's sweet. Yeah, pretty cool, though. Like, there's lots to dig into there with, with their history. Uh, oh, totally. You know, some forgotten L.A. punk history that we don't really talk about with bands like The Front and The Firemen. And... Yeah, well, there's there's that funky, glammy, you know, element that doesn't get a huge focus during this show, I would say. So it's cool to have that layered on for sure. Yeah. And also, like, just some hilarious stories they were talking about like they opened for metallica one time (laughs) (laughs) if you can imagine it and they also opened for the jesus and mary chain and they were like totally didn't take themselves seriously as a band like i think they said like jesus and mary chain were not super impressed with them and they were like mocking them from the stage Hmm. so but yeah definitely check out those records and check out some of their footage on youtube yeah for sure they're cool records they're not they're not, I mean, at least where I live, they're not easy to come by, but they are usually pretty cheap when yeah. you find them. Yeah. Right on, man. Thanks to Dan for sending that in. Yeah. Let's go over to the It's About Love. History Lesson, Part 1. All right, man. So I, I kind of walked through this, I think, during, well, two episodes ago on the Keep Out of Reach one. We've had the Ross Michael Zion train, HR tapes, now you say keep out of reach, and now it's it's about love. And we covered these tracks on the HR tapes. So it's been almost 10 episodes since we've been through these, I suppose. Now, listen, we've mentioned this before on the show where we've, you know, went through tracks twice. And you, you do have a different experience listening to them in isolation, just like we were talking about the keep out of reach tracks they were kind of tagged on the end of the hr tapes disc right And when you listen to them in isolation you got a different set of ears on yeah and now listening to it's about love as an isolated recording you got a different set of ears on too you kind of appreciate it as the artist's vision as a particular package rather than as part of a compilation so i mean i was still digging it this week and this era of hr uh, the band is on fire. The vocals are, you know, impeccable. It's a great record. Yeah, as Ryan mentioned, we kind of went over the history of the formation of this lineup of the band on episode 171. And that's where we had Ho Gonzalez as our guest. So we won't be going too deep into this release. It was the first release on Olive Tree Records, Olive Tree 101, LP only. And then re-released by SST in 87 on LP and mini CD. Yeah, that's what I've got. I've yeah. got the, the awesome, virtually unplayable mini CD. <laughs> <laughs> but I could still play it on one machine. <laughs> Recorded at Q Recordings, Falls Church, Virginia, summer 84, uh, with the exception of Free Our Mind, live at the Rat in Boston in 84. It's the lineup of Joseph I, a.k.a. HR, David Byers, David Jordan, Judah Two, a.k.a. Jose, uh, Earl Hudson, and then we've got Doc Knight, Howard Gadd, and Kenny Dredd on saxes. 
Yeah. You know that live at CBGB's 84 HR1, we mentioned this before, but they call that track Free Our Mind, Free Your Mind, right? But it's Mm. the same track. Same track. Yeah. So Stephen Hanner uh, took the photo that's on the cover of this and many, many other photos. Mm -hmm. So we've got a quick little 10-minute interview with Stephen, so let's throw it over to that. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by Stephen Hanner. Stephen, thanks for being on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. Now, I'm wondering if we can go back to D.C. Is that where you're from? Uh, across the river from D.C. and Virginia, yeah. Mm, okay. Just across the river. Now, when all this stuff is going on, you know, with uh, the HR band and, and all these other bands, how old were you, roughly? Um, I was like a sophomore in college. So, yeah, I think I was 21 by then, probably, yeah. Did you come up in the DC punk scene? Um, no, not really. I mean, I was familiar with it and with the DC scene in general, but um, yeah, it wasn't really. I mean, I was interested, but I liked uh, and worked in other areas of music, so I was already exposed to the scene. But yeah, when Olive, when I went to Olive Tree Records, you know, got the full exposure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so how did that happen? Uh, I just answered an ad, you know, in the DC as a DC paper called the City Paper, mm-hmm. like the cool newspaper in DC, and uh, just answered an ad. They're looking for graphic artists and you know photographers and stuff. She had posted. Uh, uh, Julie Bird from Olive Tree Records had posted an ad in the City Paper. So okay, you were already obviously taking photographs. How did you get interested in photography? Uh, my dad introduced me to photography when I was a little kid, actually. He was a hobby photographer, so yeah, we had a dark room in the hallway. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. What happened next? Did you go have a meeting at the Dread House? Um, I guess so. I mean, we, no, I mean, they just took us in, pretty much. I mean, we went right to work. I took a friend of mine, uh, another college student, art student, with me. And uh, he did graphics, and I did photography, and then we teamed up and kind of, you know, on the, the whole package, the mm. graphics and the promotion and stuff. Okay, is that James? Jimmy Riley? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When was the first time you went to the Dread House, then? The first time, I don't even remember specifically, mm-hmm. to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I was there, so, you know, there for a couple of years all the time, so pretty regularly anyway, so. Yeah, I don't really remember the first time I met Julie Bird. You know, Jimmy and I both brought some samples. Yeah, I remember. Um, yeah, and that was about it. She said okay, and we started working on stuff basically. Okay. So we didn't ever get paid. <laughs> we are. We hardly ever got paid. I should say. Okay. Um, what was? What were they primarily asking you to do? Live photography, uh, or. Yeah, we, we did promo stuff, a lot of promo stuff, and then yeah, if there was a show, we you know I'd shoot the shows definitely. Okay. Set up album art, and I mean you know the punk scene then there were posters, little cheap posters everywhere, so we did a lot of that, you know, just promoting shows. Are you hanging out at the Dread House socially at this point as well? Yeah, it was it was definitely a a lot going on there socially as well. Sure. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I was taking a full load of courses and I had, and I was paying my own way. So I had a couple part-time jobs and other, you know, I wasn't there like hanging out all day. I was there when, when I could be. 
Okay, let's talk about some of the actual photos you took then. Mm. One of my favorite pics and probably one of the most well-known ones from my standpoint is that famous pic of uh, HR. I think it was used on the insert of Eye Against Eye where he's stage diving. Yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. Yeah, where was that taken? Uh, that's the Rock Hotel mm. in New York City, Manhattan. Would that have been the Bad Brains kind of comeback show then? That was the Bad Brains reunion show, yeah. Ah. Hmm. It sure was. We were late, too. We were an hour. We were two hours late. <laughs> <laughs> I, drove, I drove the van. I had HR and Earl in the van with a bunch of other people. Oh, you drove the band to the show? I drove, I drove the van. All <laughs> three had a van, yeah. Oh. So, yeah, I was one. I used to drive, too. Oh, really? Any touring or anything? Oh, yeah, that's what we were doing. Hmm. I mean, HR, we did Atlanta with HR, Raleigh, if I remember right. I wasn't really touring, man. I just drove a van. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't, the band wasn't always in the band. It just uh. happened, so happened uh, yeah, the reunion that uh, HR and Earl drove up in the band. I see, okay. Another pretty iconic shot is, you know, all those ones of HR and his military fatigues. Yeah. Yeah, he wore that, but he wore that for like two years, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Now, all these photos, That's, they're the same noticed, session, I'm assuming? No, no, I noticed that when looking at those photos because those are not at all at the same session. There's four, I probably have four or five sessions where they could have been all on the same day at just slightly different locations, but mm-hmm. it wasn't. It was a span of, you know, over, over a couple of years probably. Okay. He just happened to be wearing the fatigues every time. Right. <laughs> I think he had two pair, so it wasn't the same pair all the time. Um, the shot of HR and his son. Oh, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, we. I remember that. That was like a jazz, uh, street jazz in D.C. I forget why we, how we connected, but then, uh, yeah, we walked up to it. They were out walking, and we met up somehow. I can't remember now, but I remember we walked up to the back of that little street festival you know mm-hmm. it was nice were you taking photographs of some of the other olive tree bands like zion train i know you photographed them but like, yeah definitely you know, psychotics yeah, or... outrage yeah all of them and anybody else that came through there i mean a lot of musicians came through you know and just hang, hung out for a while or played for a while join in in different sessions you know you mean at the dread house yes Michael and Kruma was there, one of my favorites and good friend. Michael and Kruma was there. Mm-hmm. He was great. The son of Ross Michael. Yep. Sons of Negus from Jamaica. Yep. Outrage was one of the, you know, um, cornerstone bands initially, but I don't hear much about them anymore. It's too bad. Yeah, I just think their recorded output is so minimal that. Yeah, kind of got forgotten. for sure, yeah. yeah. Definitely a couple live shows, but I don't know. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, I, there was other related stuff going on with Scream as well. Right. If you remember Scream. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I think they played a fair amount of shows with the HR band, probably, or with Outrage right. for sure. Yeah, and in general, they're really busy. And Where can people go to, to buy prints of some of these photos? Um, well, I do have prints available now um, sometimes on my website, but that's not really my purpose in having them up there. But I did enable that stuff, but that, the printing isn't really good all, online. So, 
but I'm refining that myself actually right now. I, I have a new website up soon, but it's just my name.com, evenhanner.com. Right on. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, it's good talking to you. Cool. Thanks, Stephen, for hopping on board the Zion train for this episode. Uh, just, as I said, adding a bit more to the story as we're we're finishing off kind of this era of HR for now. Very cool to hear about, you know, how easy it was just to kind of stumble into the olive tree scene at this at that time to answering an ad right like yeah who who would have known very cool yeah he sent me some of his amazing photos too so we'll be we'll be featuring some of those this week on our instagram awesome hey so before we go into history lesson part two let me read you a, a spiel from the spaceman on this record okay yep this is what it says in the sst catalog by michael whitaker HR, it's about love. HR is probably the most eloquent speaker on love's behalf. This EP from 1983 has studio and live material recorded in his hometown of Washington, D.C. that shows the flowering of his message. Listen to these eight songs with love. SST 179 comes out on 45 RPM EP. For $6.50, so the, the three-inch CD was released later. And it also says included on C-171. That's the HR tapes. Right on. Well, let's get into the release. History lesson, part two. Interesting to note, too, there is a bit of a different, you know, liner notes, I guess you could call them, on the SST versus the Olive Tree version. Are you talking about the parentheses next to the song titles on the CD? That, but also the the credits. I mean, well, maybe they are on the Olive Tree one if it came with an insert. I don't know. Mine doesn't have an insert. I didn't check it out. I was lazy, I guess. But uh, my Olive Tree 12-inch does not have the insert, so the, the mini CD has got extra info that's not on the Olive Tree release, at least the one I have. Yeah, it did come with an insert for sure. Ah, See? Where are the inserts? Yeah. What happened to it? Someone put it on their wall, I hope, and it's still there, I hope. Yeah. Yeah, actually, the insert of the Olive Tree record has those notations beside the songs, like Roots, Intro, It'll Be All Right, Thrash, Let's Have a Revolution, Thrash Rock, Who Loves Oh, like on the Olive Tree insert, it has all that stuff. Yeah. Ah, okay. So SST didn't really make it up. They just crammed it all onto the back of this little CD. Yeah. Who who loves you, girl? Melodic funk. Free our mind. Live thrash. Yeah. There's a thank you list on here. Probably similar to the one we saw on Keep Out of Reach. Right. Same same people, really. Rick Ocasek, Hilly Crystal. Yep. Michael Nkrumah, Gary Miller. Outrage, Scream. Yeah, that looks very similar to the Keep Out of Reach insert for sure. All praises to I and I, Divine Light and Savior, Manifestation of Christ on Earth in these times in his kingly character, Ja Rastafari, him, Emperor Haile Selassie. And then there's a psalm of great Gabriel Joseph. I think we maybe read this. Yeah, it's about when he was placed in prison unfairly. Interesting on here, there's two addresses so it says art direction e urita 
photography, Stephen Hanner. It's about love logo design, Jimmy Graphics. That's James Riley. Front cover concept and cover layup, Mansa K. Musa. I mm-hmm. think that might be James Riley, but I. It looks like his artwork. Back cover concept, Jimmy Graphics. So maybe not. Maybe Mansa K. Musa is somebody else. And then Olive Tree logo, Pam Singleton cover insert, E. Uretia. But then here there's two addresses, the Olive Tree address, which is a P.O. box in Washington. But then there's Olive Tree record promotion, care of Elise Uretia. And her address is in San Antonio, Texas. And there's a phone number. Weird. That, that is weird. What the heck is that for, I wonder? Yeah. Maybe someone will solve all these mysteries in those two new SST books that are coming out. Maybe. The artwork's pretty much the same on the olive tree and the sst and uh, lp and cassette uh cd yeah the front cover the back cover back cover is missing that uh sweet star with uh, all the photos in there yeah yeah the back back cover has that star of david the other side of this uh this insert has that great stephen hanner photo of them on stage live yeah. A Stephen Hanner band photo in the middle, and then I guess four, the four members who are not HR. Is that what I'm looking at here? Uh, I think no. I, I'm i pretty sure the top right hand isn't that HR. Yeah. So who's missing from this, from these photos? You've got under the, Potleaf on the left-hand side, that's David Byers, I'm assuming. Under yep. him is Earl. Yep. Th- then you go over, you've got Jose. Oh. Up above that is HR. I think so. So, I mean, are we missing David Jordan then? Yeah. Must be, because then the top part is... Haley uh, Selassie. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, weird. I'm interested to see, Ryan, where you landed on the ballot result on this one. Let's go there. Ballot result. I didn't go with roots or free our mind. So it's it's kind of the, the ones in between those two. I really was like into happy birthday, my son, this week. But I really like the thrash ones. I love We're Gonna Get You and Heaven Forbid, how that track is crammed together. I love that. Yeah. So that that might be my pick. Yeah, this record's 20 solid minutes, for sure. I, I don't know what my faves were when we did this on episode 171, but the tracks I was grooving to this week were It'll Be Alright and Happy Birthday, My Son. Happy Birthday, My Son. Really? Me too. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Well, let's do that one, man. I think it's a yeah. pretty iconic track off this release. It is. It's a really cool track, too. Great story. Really catchy. Let's do it. Plus, I don't think we've had any reggae on for a while, like real reggae. So. Yeah. Let's do it. Hey, thanks to Stephen Hanner for the photos and for the interview. And thanks to Dan Rinaldi for sending in the El Grupo spiel. Yeah, definitely add some uh, a new flavor to an HR episode to have some El Grupo, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what, though? People from El Grupo, like, I wouldn't be surprised if one of those days when HR, you know, showed up in L.A. and he was looking for a pickup band. You know, in the, those later 
HR days when he's not in bad brains at that time. And they're calling around town to see, you know, hey, HR needs a backing band. I wouldn't be surprised if someone from El Grupo got one of those calls one day. Yeah, maybe. They totally could have pulled it off for sure. 100%. Yeah. There's your there's your connection. Yeah. Hey, Ryan, what's next week? Like you said, Brent, it's SST 180, another Universal Congress of Record, the prosperous and qualified LP. Can't wait. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.